actions antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. Today, I want to talk to you a bit about perfectionism. This is something that I've observed kind of prevent a lot of people from following their dreams. You're waiting for the exact right time, waiting for the exact right setup, the exact right thing, or excessive amounts of research and perfected your product. You've done, you've crossed every T, dotted every I, as they say, and you've accounted for every possible scenario. And I can't stress you to you enough how many times I've seen this really get in the way of people's dreams. My guest today, Audrey Holst, is the founder of Fortitude and Flow, and she specializes in helping people overcome this tendency toward perfectionism, which is so prevalent in our culture today. Audrey, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. I can't wait for this conversation. Definitely. Audrey, now I want to start off with the foundations. What are the origins of perfectionism? What makes someone really feel like they need to have every last little thing perfect before launching anything or before sharing anything with the world? Yeah. So I think the first thing to understand about perfectionism and perfectionists is that nobody starts, like wakes up at age 30 and says, you know what? That perfectionism thing, I haven't tried that yet. I'm going to try that on for size. And then they just automatically all of a sudden start with these perfectionist (laughs) tendencies. That is just not anybody's story. So I did over 60 hours of interviews with perfectionists, people who self-identified with perfectionists. And every single one of them, I asked them questions. I had them tell me their stories. And every single one of them had origins in their youngest years. They could think back when they were a kid, in their household, in school, where perfectionism had its its beginnings and then how other places in their life either helped to stoke the fires of perfectionism or actually helped them work through it. So how I look at perfectionism is it's a survival mechanism, which is why perfectionism tends to flare up in times of stress. When people get stressed out, when people are in new situations, that's when they tend to go towards that tendency more, which is one of those things that can be really difficult for people that are maybe entrepreneurs or in spaces that require a lot of agility and being uncertain because it really flares up those perfectionist tendencies and it it can be a huge issue. Wow. So you're saying most of it begins at childhood. And then at some point in life, the people around you either reinforce it or send you in the opposite direction. Have you heard a lot of good stories about people being sent in the opposite direction saying, okay, I grew up perfectionist and maybe had a perfectionist family, or I think our education system with our pass fail grades kind of reinforces perfectionism but then finds the right people and they say, hey, wait a second, no, this is what a minimum viable product is. This is how, look at what you're looking at everything else. Like when you hike that mountain, did you ask for perfectionism? Did you ask for perfection from those rocks by the river? And sorry for the nature examples, I was told. Nature examples are good, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's often through the guidance and relationship building of mentors, of employers, you know, it comes through relationship. Perfectionism, if we think about a survival mechanism, there's two answers that are trying to be met. Am I safe and do I belong? Those are two things that are essential for us as human beings is our safety and our belonging because our village is going to help to help to resource us and help to keep us alive. Mm-hmm. So when you start to have relationships where we are proven 
time and time again, that we can make mistakes, that actually mistakes are celebrated. And I'm going to put mistakes in quotes because sometimes they're actual mistakes and sometimes they're just awkward moments or I tried this and it didn't go as well as I thought it was going to go. But people who tend to change this wiring in their system is in relationship with other people. They start to find that, oh, I can actually do this thing that feels really scary and terrifying and like I'm going to die, aka make a mistake. Yeah. And I didn't die and nobody kicked me out of the village and I'm still standing and maybe I'll try it again. And that's when things start to shift. Part of me thinks about it in terms of what pursuit you're in, even what job you're in. And I always look across the street from my house as a basketball court. And I've witnessed a lot of people playing basketball. And even when I see the person who's the big shot, the hot shot that makes all the shots, I always think about the fact that this person at one point had to be there for the first time. At one point, this person was missing shots. At one point, this person was making a fool of themselves because they were just getting started and had to work up to that. What I'm wondering is if pursuits such as that tend to move people in the opposite direction of perfectionism, as opposed to people say you pursue a job where your particular employer doesn't tolerate mistakes, and I'm putting that in quotation marks as well, doesn't tolerate any of that and honestly leads you into this mindset that anytime you mess up or anytime you present an idea that's not liked, you're liable to get fired. Yeah. So this is a such a good question. And I'll use the example of lawyers. So I, I work with a lot of lawyers and mm-hmm. they do studies of people who go into law school and sort of people's level, baseline level of stress. So they compare them to people who've gone to other types of education for other types of jobs. Lawyers tend to come out of law school more stressed and with a higher level of perfectionism what I would call like toxic perfectionism when they come out of law school. So now you have people that have a baseline higher than the rest of the population in terms of that perfectionism. And now you're throwing them into another area, another occupation in which they can literally be fired or lose millions of dollars if a comment is in the wrong place. This just continually emphasizes and reinforces that perfectionism piece over and over again. And what we know about the body is the body loves efficiency and the body tries to anticipate the future to become more efficient. So now you have a system that is continuously wired into this groove of this is what I do. This is what's efficient for me. And now I'm in this perfectionism groove. And just because the body finds it efficient, it doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy for the body. It's the same thing with chronic stress. When people get into these chronic stress loops, raises their baseline level, and now they're operating up here instead of coming back to homeostasis, which is what the body wants to do. It's very clear in the in the law world, which is why a lot of people have a hard time. You know, people that may really thrive in the beginning, if they aren't taught different ways to cope when things get stressful, which is one of the things that I do. And I would say it goes beyond coping, but I think just for a simplistic word, if they're not taught other ways to be in this challenging environment that doesn't break them down physically, mentally, and emotionally, yeah. mm-hmm. then they're out because it's not sustainable. Their bodies physically can't sustain it. Yeah. It reminds me of those old stories. I don't know how true they are, but as a New Yorker, you heard them of Wall Street in the 80s and people who would literally work 20-hour days or work 12-hour days and party another eight hours and just sustain themselves on cocaine. And how for 18, 24 months, for some people, it was a wild ride and tons of fun and worked really well. They made tons of money, had lots of fun, but eventually that was not sustainable. Eventually you'd have that crash. And people end up with 
like chronic health conditions, right? That's when people all of a sudden their bodies shut them down and now they can't work and they can't keep up that same pace. And now they have to basically learn from scratch. Okay. I can't burn the candle at both ends. Also, I'm trying to crawl out of this hole that I've kind of been put into because my body shut down on me. Now I have to make different decisions, which is really tough for people, especially if you have that perfectionism thing, you're like all in or you're shut down. There's this very prideful, I can take it better than other people that often comes because it comes from disconnection. That's a piece of it. They they are able to disconnect from their body where their body's going, hey, the kitchen's on fire. And the body's like, and they're like, no, 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 it's fine. You know, there's smoke coming out of their ears. (laughs) Um, So uh, it's either that or shut down because their body does shut them down and they get sick or there's some issue. And then now they can't work because their body says, hey, we can't run these hormones like we've been running them for the past, you know, six months. So that's what, I mean, that's what happens. You know, we we talk about it sometimes as a mindset thing, but it's a body situation. Well, yeah, it reminds me of whenever anyone will use the phrase, I'll live, which is really the shortest way to put it. And someone's like, oh my God, you don't look so good today. Are you? you've been coughing a lot lately and they'll just go, (coughs) I'll live and then quickly move on with whatever they're trying to do. And so here's what's so interesting about that language matters because what that says to me, right? If I'm supposed, if I can take that little tiny sentence, break it down a little bit, I'm suffering really hard. I'm under-resourced. I am, you know, on this mountain and like times are tough. Things are really rough right now, but like, I will live. Like, I'm not going to thrive. I'm not going to have a good time. I'm not having fun, but I will live. And that's the same sort of language that people will use in the opposite direction. When they try something that's scary for the first time, they will literally say something or they'll, they'll, you know, make them, I'm putting this in quotes, make a mistake and then look around. They'll say, "I, I didn't die. Which sounds dramatic, but again, this is the body's interpretation of, I thought I was going to die. Like I literally thought the body thinks I'm going to die if we do this, which is why we don't want to do this. And then you have this relief of, I didn't die. So when we use language like live or die, that points to that survival piece that is actually just wired in us. And so with some of these professions, uh, like being a lawyer, you can't really change the nature of the profession. As long as you're a lawyer, you're going to have to deal with the fact that the comma in the wrong spot, the period, forgetting to write phrases such as is not limited to the following <laughs> examples could potentially kind of really ruin your your life. And so with someone that has that type of situation, is there something someone can do elsewhere in life to kind of counteract this constant barrage of reinforcing perfectionism that they get from their career. Yeah. And I think it actually comes into play in those environments. So I think it's not just a thing on the side. It actually becomes something that has to be integrated in all of it, the personal. And that's the other thing we can't, you are a full human all the time. And yes, you may feel like you can turn things on and off, but you can't just magically fill up an empty resource cup you know, at the end of your day, that filling up and that emptying out is, it it goes throughout the day. So a lot of it is first starting to just pay attention. So when I bring people through the fortitude and flow process, which is how I start people starting to disengage from this thing, noticing is the first step because people do what I call the perfectionist two-step, which is they see it and fix it. They see it and react. They're very reactive. They're very quick moving. And they're often their instinct is to just pick up the ball and run with it. They don't stop to think, is that actually my ball? Like, do I want to pick up that ball? 
do I actually need to touch that ball? There's a very reactive kind of fast moving nature of people. So often a lot of it is just slowing things down to get their fast moving brain and their body like on the same page at the same time. So they can start noticing, oh, you know, I have like one client, for instance, had this relationship to chaos where chaos would really like just when chaos was happening, it would just throw them off. And they started paying attention. They started to notice, just notice chaos. Like, oh, here's me and here's chaos. And I can notice that chaos is happening. And it just created enough of a like recognition and separation that it didn't overwhelm them every single time. And they started to be able to function in that relationship better. So just noticing is the first step because we people want to fix something, but I'm like, we don't have enough information. We haven't gathered enough information to make any decisions yet. And often when people start noticing, you don't have to actually do anything. You don't have to blow up your entire life, basically. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm wondering is we live in a instant gratification, quick fix culture where creepily, in my view, Amazon will deliver you your package an hour and a half after you ordered it. A whole bunch of other things, social media, especially load up your picture, get your likes, load up your video, get your responses. Are you battling that a little bit when you're working with your clients in that initial stage of saying, hey, wait a second. The first thing, it's not about find the problem, fix it, check the box next to your to-do list. This is something that's a little bit of a a longer term. This is more about your mindset issue, how you respond to certain things, how you respond to stress, how your life is set up. Yeah, it's it's so context dependent, right? It totally depends on what somebody's, you know, what somebody's job is and how they need to do it and and all the elements to it. So whenever I I have a coaching client and we're working together, you know, we got to be realistic. I'm not going to say, "Okay, we'll just turn off your notification, you know, turn off your <laughs> notification." Sometimes like, you can turn yeah. off your notification, but sometimes it's like based on the nature of your job, you do need to be making sure you're checking emails at certain times because certain things are right. Maybe that's how people can communicate with you. So sometimes people can set boundaries. Sometimes they can't. So it's kind of like, well, again, let's gather the information, see what's possible within the current context. And sometimes just having the awareness of like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like I've got 15 different notifications flying in my face all the time. No wonder I'm feeling the way I do because a lot of people tell themselves, well, I shouldn't feel this way. And when you start to pull the pieces apart and just say like, now that we've talked about this, now that you've pulled out all of these pieces and they're all on the table, does it make a little more sense to you why you feel the way you do? And often people say, oh, okay. Like now I get, now I understand why I feel the way I do. Like, okay, well, that's a good starting point. So you can start, stop beating yourself up for feeling like you shouldn't feel exhausted. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's a lot of that shouldn't in there as well, right? Because... I I said this a number of podcasts ago, but I've observed people who are working 30-hour weeks who are utterly burnt out and people who are working 60-hour weeks who are not burnt out, they're energized, all dependent on how well aligned you are. It's kind of interesting to, to really validate people's stories. I have to always point this out and it's hard to believe it sometimes because people are showing you the highlight reel right? People are curating what they want you to understand about them or what they want you to see about them. Dr. Margaret Rutherford has something that she calls uh, perfectly hidden depression. I think she may have updated what she's calling it now, but 
which is basically she will talk about these people who look like they have it all and end up committing suicide because they have this whole inner world. And this is another thing I've discovered with perfectionists is when I was doing my interviews, they would often say people on the outside have no idea, or they would think that people on the outside have no idea. They're having a different inner experience than what they're masking to the outside world. Let's just say we took technology out of it. So say we were just walking around our village, kind of checking out things. We'd be physically seeing people's lives. We'd be seeing their yards. We'd be seeing their families. We'd be involved in them in some capacity. There'd be a certain amount of intimacy. We would have some insight into like how they were doing like in reality. Yeah. Um, now our bodies think that it has all the information, but there's often big gaps missing. So we kind of fill them in with our own perceptions. So we see somebody doing something and we're like, oh man, they've got it together. They're making all this money. And then Meanwhile, in the background, like their marriage is unraveling and they're $50,000 in debt, but they're not advertising that to anybody. So we create these stories and then it puts us all in these awful narratives where we're like, we're actually all in a more similar situation than we think we're in. When I first started working after graduate school, I thought I was the weird one because I worked in 90 minute spurts and then needed some rest after that. And the idea of just sitting still at a computer for eight hours straight didn't really sit well with me. And I honestly thought this made me like a weird person. And then I think it was only three years ago, I started reading the research that 90 minute spurts are actually a fairly normal way to work. You're actually way ahead (laughs) of your time there. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And I'm one of those people that I can't, you know, like I have to go for a walk. I'm a very physical person. If I tried to sit at a computer for eight hours a day, my mental health just tanks because I can't function like that. Maybe other people are able to, I don't really know that many that can though, honestly. I don't know. I, for some reason, I thought I saw that early on and I was like, this 3 p.m. fog that I'm getting every day, like what, what's wrong with me? Right. Cause nobody's, nobody's really talking about it or they're kind of joking about it, but they're kind of pushing through. And again, we have these perceptions of how we think everybody else is doing things or what Mm -hmm. is working for everybody else right? It's just not true, but we've told ourselves this thing. So now we think, well, I'm the aberration and that makes me messed up. And I don't feel good about that. It's so weird to think about when the majority of people think they're the aberration, just because the minority that happened to fit into the system that was built seems to be doing well. And people get afraid to say, oh, wait a second, this isn't working that well for me. And and maybe there are others. Yeah, totally. Which is why I think that I've had such a I've been so lucky is not the word I want to use, but it's been a fascinating thing as a coach because I get to see everybody's inner world. I got to hear all the drama and I'm getting a very different conversation than a lot of people's outside relationships are having, right? So I'm seeing the back doors of people who are looking like they're killing it, but on the back end, they're freaking out, you know? So it's, it's like, I've had the privilege of working with some really amazing, incredible people who are still really amazing, incredible people and are very human. Anybody out there that you are putting on a pedestal, take them off that pedestal because they are just as human as you. They just maybe have a better team or like a better, you know, their marketing is cleaner. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. But one of the things that I think a lot of people are taking a deep breath and thinking about is, is what information I'm receiving in my head and is what information balanced? And so, for example, social media and even just work in general encourages people to only show off their best, which we've seen is what's leading to a lot of people's depression because so many people in so many settings are comparing the entirety of their lives to only the top 
of everyone else's lives. Like, oh, look, this person has a cute baby picture. This person just went on a trip to Hawaii. This person just got a promotion and no one's posting. My boss yelled at me today. I got fired today. I woke up in a gutter with whatever in my arm. I mean, to to go to the other extreme. Really take it to the opposite end, yeah. Um, yeah. So do you feel like you're getting a balance because you're in the profession you're in, or do you feel like you're actually getting an even skewed into the other direction where you're seeing the bad, the faults, the, the panic more often? It takes a balance because when people get into a space where they're actually able to say stuff is hard and it's not going that well, it can also be really easy for them to like tank in that direction where all of a sudden it's like now they're staring into the void and now they're on the catastrophe train and everything is terrible. And this is another thing with language is people will say things like, I always, I never, I, you know, this, I, I'm this, I'm that they'll label themselves. And again, language matters. And what you are telling yourself on a regular basis is habituating your body as to what it believes is efficiency and what it needs to do. It's important to validate people's experiences. It's important for people to be able to say what they want to say and say what they need to say. And then it's also important to be like, okay, and I'm not going to let you fall down to that hole without like being like, okay, I got the back, I got the rope on your harness and we're actually going to come back out because going down deeper into that hole is not actually helpful. We're going to actually bring it back out a little bit and find that balanced perspective. Because that's another thing I will mention that perfectionism can do is that it can skew people towards and this is another thing that happens with lawyers, they get trained to look for what's wrong. That's their Mm -hmm. job. They look for the problems. They look for what's wrong, what isn't going right so that they can get ahead of it. They can have plan A, B, C, D, E through Q when that doesn't work. You know, so, so they're kind of planning for the worst case scenario all the time, which is what their body starts doing. So one of the things that perfectionists can really help in the beginning is starting to orient to things that are going well, that feel good so that they can build their nervous system capacity so that they're not just honed in, in this survival mode of all these things are going wrong. I have to be hypervigilant all the time. They start to be able to resource better. I see. So it's, yeah. a, it's a balance. It has to go in both directions. And it can also be like, like you said, I'll live. I'm fine. Everything's great because it's lies and that's not going to get you anywhere either. Yeah. So it is about finding that balance. Now, what brings someone into your office? What state of mind makes someone need your services? It depends on the context. In a lot of corporate context, it's people who need some extra support, who are maybe feeling overwhelmed or feeling under-resourced or not really coping well. In terms of people who are hiring me individually, there's often, because let's be honest, right? People often don't invest unless there's something that is related to their jobs or their work, because that's that's very common. Mm-hmm. So great people are going to get coaching if their job is in jeopardy or their money is in jeopardy because again, survival. So yeah. often it's people who are struggling in the work that they're in and are feeling like, I feel like I need to find another job or like things are not going well. Or the other thing that come that happens very often is I've checked all the things on my list. I've got the successful business. I'm making the money I want. I've got the house, right? I've checked everything yeah. off my list and I don't feel less anxious. I feel just as stressed out as I was when I started off my business or when I started this venture. And it's like, well, yes, yes. So a lot of that will be like, okay, now that you've gotten the checklist, let's 
rewire your body to actually be able to like land where you are now and like enjoy it because yeah one of the first things that people look at when they're starting a business or I want people to look at others want people to look at is how are you going to feel when you're sitting in the chair that you want to be sitting in and i guess this goes for traditional careers as well as business when you have the right amount of clients when you're growing at the right pace or when you've gotten that promotion when you've gotten to that spot that you have you're so driven in your mind that you want to get to, what does that feel like? Do you know, I randomly bring up hip hop lyrics quite a bit. And it was a uh, big Sean that recently said, good news is that you came a long way. The bad news is you went the wrong way mm-hmm. type of situation. Yeah. 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 That's exactly what happens is people get out of the, the sort of startup grinding. Is this even going to make it phase? And they take that same energy and vibe and mentality into a different, the next cycle of their business. And they never quite get out of that, that grind got of really muscle. Cause you do have to muscle through and sometimes, right? Like I'm not going to be, yeah. I'm not going to say that everything is going to be easy all the time. And you're always going to feel good. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all, but things do go in cycles. And if you're not going in some sort of a cycle and things are not shifting as circumstances and context, and if that's not changing, then something needs to be updated in your system. What do they say in Alcoholics Anonymous? Like, admit that you have a problem is the very first step, which pretty much makes sense when it comes to that or any kind of behavioral change. Is that someone has to want it? Yeah. Otherwise, dragging anybody through anything—that is not happening over here. Like, I'm not dragging anybody through anything. You are taking the steps yourself, and I'm happy to hold your hand sometimes, but that's the only way to do this. So, if someone feels like they're at the point where they can't really do this anymore. Do you ever advise them to just hold tight for a couple more months or a few more weeks to get to a certain place where your exit from the situation become a bit more sustainable, whether it be just that, okay, you've saved up a little bit more money or you've landed a few more clients or you've completed uh, a degree that you're one course away from? Is there ever a point where you say, okay, grind a little more, but then we'll plan a nice relaxation period afterward. I would never tell somebody to keep doing what they're doing just to make it through. If I'm already in the conversation with somebody and we're already working together, because this happens often, right? Where people come in and they're like, I want to exit, but I know I'm going to totally screw myself over financially if I get out now. It's like, okay, well, let's not do that. Okay. Let's, let's figure out logistically what is needed. And at the same time, let's see what we can adjust within the way your kind of operating system is wired and how you're looking at things so that you can be with this in a slightly different way. Because that's what ultimately people need to be able to kind of, okay, if I can't get out of this situation or if I need to be in this situation for a certain period of time longer, which happens sometimes, what are we going to work with that we can shift in some capacity to get them to where they need to be in order to be to have what they need? So I would never say like, just put your head down and suck it up because I don't believe in that. In my experience, in my personal experience and in client's experience, there's always something that can be adjusted so it feels less like I just have to take it. And then, so you talked about lawyers in the beginning and how that profession really can't be changed in the sense that if you don't put those phrases are not liable for blah, 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 there's certain things that could really burn you. So you have to kind of have this really detail oriented, look at every single word and make sure it's perfect type of mentality. Do you oftentimes work with people who are 
applying too much of that mentality to jobs where you don't need to be quite as perfect, where you you could dial down the perfectionism and move a little bit more into that minimum viable product, which for anyone listening that doesn't know, minimum viable product is something that's good enough to show you know a target demographic what the product looks like, but it's not the perfect you know, for sale product that you're eventually going to build. Is there oftentimes that you move people more into that direction and say, Hey, wait a second, your customers don't care about this RGB 212, 111, 107 exact color or whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, all the time, right? This is when we talk about experimentation. The four steps that I take people through are are noticing, discernment, action, and integration. So we get to action. Action has to be small, doable, sustainable, experimental. And so this is one of the things for nervous system shifting, we're doing things in small kind of titrated doses so that the the system can kind of start to get on board with things. And they're not huge shocks to the system because often we'll make these huge leaps. Again, we survive but now the next time our body's like, I don't want to do that again. That was awful. <laughs> you know? yeah. so it's like, how do we, in what you're talking about, people start to experiment with, uh, just using the word experiment takes like a hundred percent of pressure off of people's shoulders. Listen, you don't have to live with this forever. We're going to try it out, right? We're going to, we're going to experiment this. We're going to see what happens. And if you hate it, if it's the worst thing you've ever experienced, if you never want to do it again, then you never have to do it again. But like, let's try it out and see how it goes. And people feel a little bit more permissive, like, oh, this is not the, you know, that test where you get a pass fail. And if I fail, then, you know, I can never go to college. You know, there's that sort yeah, of mentality. Yeah, that, that mentality that, I mean, those are some formative years when that's being drilled into a lot of people's heads. So it's awful. It's really it awful. It makes sense. So when I think of experimenting, I always think about trying a new restaurant. And whenever I hear anyone getting too intense about it. It's like, it's like, okay, you know, if it's not good, it's one bad meal. And then you just never go to that place again. Yeah, totally. And again, language, I think I'm going to talk about language a lot today because it does make a difference and you will start to hear it when you're listening to yourself, when you're listening to other people, people use the term fear of failure. Mm, Yep. Every word in there is terrifying. The word fear is scary. Failure Sorry, is laughing. scary. And then people say, don't be afraid to fail. I'm like, I am, but I am, right? Like, Even don't's a negative word to start that sentence off, right? Right, right. So again, it's like, how do we how do we find different ways of talking about a thing, of seeing a thing, of expressing a thing so it feels more approachable? Because that's what it feels like. To the body, it feels like you want me to walk up to this tiger and hope it doesn't bite my head off. But maybe, you know, maybe we just create some different parameters here where I feel like I can get close to the tiger, but I still feel like there's a cage there. So like, I'm going to be okay. Hmm. And I'm guessing that this, um, this consciousness of our language is something that applies both externally and internally, because we talk to ourselves. We say a lot of things to ourselves. We're awful to ourselves. Quite frequently. And I heard someone once say 80% of it is negative. Uh, you might have a better number on that. I don't know the percentages, but I know that personally feels pretty accurate. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it's so weird. So there's a small difference between saying, don't fear failure and try something new or experiment with something new, something where you're changing it from negative words to positive words. And what you're saying is that that could actually have a really huge change, whether it's something you're saying to someone else or whether it's something you're saying to yourself. 
Yes. A hundred percent. It's that whole thing of like, don't think of a pink elephant. What's the first thing that happens? Okay. Now that pink elephant's in your head and you're like trying not to think about it, but now you're thinking about it and here it is. It's here again and again. And we're like, okay, well you have to give it, you know, think about your, your brain is like a border collie with a lot of energy. You have to tell your brain what to do. You can't tell it what not to do because what's the point, but don't eat the couch. Okay. Well, what do you want me to do instead? So what is it? What's the productive thing that you're trying to do so you can put your energy in that direction? What are we doing? Often I'll say, okay, so what is, how do you want to feel? Well, I don't want to feel stressed. We can't move towards not stress. We have to move towards something. And this is something that people have not considered before, which is why they're not going there because they literally have no idea. They know where they don't want to be. Yeah, They have no idea where they want to be. So that is extremely important. That reminds me of something a friend of mine told me last year that I've repeated to so many people. He said, nobody's ever planned a trip to Hawaii by thinking about how they don't want to go to South Africa. Right. You don't don't go to Expedia and look up hotels not in this destination or flights that don't go here. That is, an, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that. I'm, I'll give credit to, I'll be like credit to Stephen's friend, whoever that is. Um, <laughs> that's great. I love that. That's exactly what it is. It's got your GPS. You set your GPS. You have to tell your GPS where to go, and you have to actually start moving in that direction to make any sort of adjustments. You can't sit in your driveway and be like, well, I'm gonna get to California perfectly. Well, you have to actually start moving there, and then you hit the roadblocks and the construction and the traffic, and then you can rewrite around. But you have to actually move in order to go somewhere. If anyone listening out there, just say listening to this conversation, what do you think they should say to themselves? If someone listening has the opportunity to just right now say one sentence to themselves, that'll put them on a better path than the typical human self-talk of people who are so focused on, I don't want to do this job anymore. I don't want to think about this topic anymore. I don't want this happening to me. I don't want that happening to me. I think just like who you are and how you are and what you do makes sense, given your body's wiring. And it's something we can all try to do, right? That's your starting point is you got to get on board with yourself and the fact that even though it doesn't make sense to you sometimes, your body's always on your side. I know this is not one sentence. This is more sentence. This is the, how you are makes sense is my sentence. (laughs) How you are make so your body's always on your side. So right. we use words like self-sabotage. How terrible is that? That we're against ourselves in some capacity. And it's like, no, the, the body is doing things because it thinks that this is my best way to survive. This is my best way to make it through. Even if it doesn't feel like the right way, there's something in your system that is wired in that direction. So starting with like, this makes sense. I'm okay. There's nothing like so-called wrong with me. We got to start there and then we can make, then we can make tweaks and adjustments. That's all. Yeah. So I spent the better part of a decade trying to overcome the 2.30 p.m. energy dip. And that was one of the things about, I guess, about myself that I was not willing to engage or self-sabotage. And obviously, there are some ways to do it. I realized my the level of caffeine intake in the morning was you know, part of it. So you can kind of do some experimenting on it. But one of the first parts of that particular experience would be saying, okay, my body is saying something's happening to it at 2.30 every day. I then later started to realize it was roughly 75 minutes after I finished my lunch, you know, the awareness mm-hmm. piece that you mentioned before. And then you kind of, you know, change up 
uh, what you're drinking in the morning, when you're eating, what you're eating, you try a bunch of things. And so it seems like a important, I don't know, part of the path toward being in a place where you're, you know, you said fortitude and flow, right? And that's like kind of that, that flow of life and saying you're not fighting against yourself like you are when you're saying, oh, everyone's perfectly fine sitting their ass down at a computer at eight o'clock and, and not leaving until five with the exception of 25 minutes to run out to a sandwich shop, get a sandwich and run right back to their computer. Why am I the only idiot that can't deal with it? Why am I the only one that can't seem to do it right? Why am I the only one getting brain fog at two 30 every day when there really is something else behind it? Your body's communicating with you. Hey, you know, until 1965, Humanity from 70,000 years ago until then didn't operate like this. Maybe, yes, maybe something needs to be different. There's been a lot of change, a lot of context, a lot of speed that's been added to our lives that we somehow have just not calculated into how we think about our lives, how we think about work, how we think about what we should be able to handle or not handle. Um, even the uh, and I know this is a big thing that that you're into, right? Is like this inundation of information. You know, yeah. if we were, if we were just, again, humans without technology, we'd be walking around, we'd have the reality in front of us. We might have stories that people tell us, you know, we might be thinking about things, but we wouldn't be having literally multiple worlds and people shoved in our face on a regular basis. Cause now my brain is considering what's happening overseas. My brain is considering what's happening on the East coast, on the West coast, up in Canada with this mm-hmm. person. With that, so my brain is getting my body and my brain are getting pulled into these different realities that aren't even a part of my current reality, and that takes energy. Yeah, yep. There's energy behind context switching too, which yeah. is where the notifications. Come in. Of, yes, the technology <laughs> is putting us on that, and we're like, I don't know why I'm so tired. So it was a big challenge right now that we have this technology. We've absorbed it for people to decide, okay, what do I really need to think about? And what do I not need to think about? And that's the thing, right? I think this is another piece where being aware of perfectionism can be helpful because for a perfectionist, everything is urgent and everything requires A plus effort or producing A plus work. People have to get on board with C plus work you don't actually even need to put that much effort into this thing. It doesn't really matter. You know, some stuff you want to put your A game on, you know, great. Other things, you can actually just take it off your calendar. You can change your mind, right? Changing your mind. It's a thing. I did it today with a meeting. I looked at my schedule. I went, wow, I overbooked myself. That wasn't very smart. Does anybody have a calendar that allows me to rebook? Oh, this person does. I rebooked. Mm -hmm. Sorry for last minute cancellation. Can't wait to talk to you later. Yeah. But people, I know in my my past self and people will be like this, well, I've committed to this thing. I committed to this thing and I'm stuck with it. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the same thing with people who, and I've interviewed other guests on this podcast, people who need to change courses, who are kind of on something, they're building a business around one thing. And then, you know, after doing a little bit of experimentation or living a little life and observing it, they're like, wait a second. I think I need to move a little bit more in this direction. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'll tell the two clients I have or whatever it is, sorry, I, I'm going to move in a different direction. This is what I'm offering now. And we'll see what happens. That brings to mind a couple of things. Uh, Katie Burkhart, who I believe, actually, I believe she's the one that connected yeah, us. Yeah, she's the one that right? connected she, us. Yeah. Yeah. So she'll say stuff like, 
like, if you think about your vision of like the world you want to live in, are you behaving in a way, and these are not her exact words. She says it's so much like smarter and smaller than I am saying, but the general way that I interpret it is essentially, are you behaving in a way that supports the world that you want to live in? Mm. So like, for instance, the good news is I am trying to model a human world that is not, you know, drenched in perfectionism. So guess what? I mess up sometimes. And you know what? My clients friggin' love it. Like when I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I forgot about this. Like my, they love it. They'll be like, oh my gosh, I just love knowing that you're human sometimes. It, like people yeah. get permission and they think, oh my gosh, I don't have to like hold myself to this impossible standard. Like I can actually mess up sometimes. And, and cause this is another perfectionism thing. They feel there's this conditional relationship piece where it's like, if I'm not mm. perfect, everybody, I get kicked out of the village. Everybody hates me. And it's like, communicate, communicate with people. Some people, it may be inconvenient. It may suck. Maybe that relationship blows up. I don't know. But if you can't, if it's, if you can't yeah. make a single mistake and you blow everything up, then something was wrong there to begin with. So, yeah. And that goes for whether it be a social relationship, a personal relationship, or a work relationship. Um, totally. I wish it were easier in the modern world for people to find new social, personal, and work relationships when they realize that things aren't working well in those cases. But that's a whole separate. Um, so separate That's issue. a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, even in, you know, I could say like, even we're talking about, you know, laws being the people that work in law are super caring, awesome people. And a lot of the relationships, you know, in these firms, people are awesome. You know, they love each other. Yeah. There are some there. I mean, I've heard some horror stories about environments that people have worked in. But when you have a company that's actually caring about their people and are really trying to shift culture, there's people with great relationships, people who really like each other. You know, this, yeah, this for sure. stuff exists in even, you know, even the worst environments, people will yeah. band together and try to help each other out. So there's always something good somewhere, even in some super toxic places, which again, I'm not saying that all law is toxic. Please don't misunderstand yeah, me. For sure. And I, I always say that no matter how you subset people, no matter how you subset companies, professions, whatever, you're going to find good and bad. Right. So whether it be like, you know, race, gender, age, generational group, you're going to find good and bad in every one of those groups. The same way if you say lawyers versus, I don't know, pro cyclists, right? You're going to, there's going to be people who are great people who are just trying to be good to everyone. And you're going to find the jerks in there. Yeah. Figure out what resonates with you. I think that's the other piece to think about is like the, just the term resonance. Like, does this have resonance for me? Is am I vibing with this? Because that's important. This is, I'll tell you another story. I got so many things yeah. to say, Stephen. I know I'm just talking so much, but I'm just going to go with it. I was talking with a friend about um, networking. Oh, yeah. Right. This is a thing we do. We network. It can be really nerve wracking, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm introvert, extrovert. I don't really care. I know that I come apart across as fairly extroverted. I don't really think I am, but I do. So a lot of people of are in the I middle on that spectrum. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it just depends on the context. And, so I mentioned to a friend of mine, I said, when I am networking or when I'm talking with somebody, I'm paying attention to what's interesting me. Mm -hmm. Like, what are they saying? Am I interested in what they're saying? Is this keeping my attention? Sometimes words will pop out and I'll be like, huh, oh, the way they said that, there's something there. And I'll ask about that word. And then we'll have a conversation. People, you know, we get ex excited. There are some people that I talk to and I'm like, eh, That's didn't do happen. anything for me. It's going to happen to any networking you know event, what? you know? And then I just say, great, nice to meet you. And I move on. Yep. And she was, it like blew her mind. She was like, I always just thought it was like me not being able to network well. I'm like, no, sometimes people are just boring or you just don't have resonance and that's okay. Like that's yeah. the other piece. 
Yeah, not you're not going to resonate with every single person. If you try to resonate with every single person at a networking event, believe me, I know what it's like to go down that path. It can oh, that can become exhausting in its own way to become same. like, oh, like tell me more about this, tell me more about that. And it's okay to just because I don't think anyone's inherently boring or interesting. You're just interesting to some people and boring to others, depending on whether you resonate. And some people are interesting to more people than others. You know, some people have a broader a range of interests, whatever, but but everyone's interesting to someone and everyone's boring to someone. Totally. Um, another quick story I'll share. So there was a networking meeting that I had been invited to, and you had to fill out a form in the beginning. And it was talking about, you know, maybe it was your elevator pitch or something. Yeah. I, I sat, I looked at that form for I probably looked at it one night and then I put it aside and I came back to it. I was so scared that I was going to write something that wasn't like the right thing to get me into this networking event. And I remember showing up and being like freaked out, all these people yeah. who seemed like they had it all together. And I'm like, I always feel slightly like that. You know, I go to these corporate places and my background is in yoga, right? I, my, my degree oh, wow. is in horses. Like I have a, yeah. I do not have that corporate background that a lot of people have. However, that's a huge benefit for me. And I've figured out over time that me having different perspectives and different experiences actually is hugely beneficial because I'm not coming in with that same preconceived notion of how this is going to go. I'm going to be kind of weird and I'm going to kind of, I'm going to show up and some people vibe with that and some people don't. But for me to come in and be a slightly different flavor is actually beneficial to me. And so I think that that is one of those things that when people start to get off this perfectionist piece and this like kind of cookie cutter mentality, that's when you can actually start to get some traction. So it's when you believe in your value to the point where you can witness yourself not be valuable to a specific person and say, I'm okay with that. That was not the person or that was not the place. And yeah, I know it is. sucks, right? Because the person that you want to appeal to is not the person that, you know, like you don't yeah. appeal to them. You're like, well, shoot, I really wanted to connect to that person because I think they're really cool, but apparently they don't think I'm cool. And that that, you know, that hurts. I don't love that. And yeah. I'm also not going to chase after things that are not resonant, right? Like I have a strong yeah. follow-up. I will certainly follow up, but I'm not going to fight against the tide if somebody's not interested either. Yeah. No, I mean, you can't possibly be interested in everybody in a world of seven point whatever billion people. I, I can't keep track, but... And I, you know, just sitting here, I still feel uncomfortable with it. You know, like I'm still like, well, but I really want to... I want everybody to like me, but yeah, some days I feel better about that. And some days I don't. And that's also normal. That's amazing. Um, so to wrap up, I just want to give anyone listening a chance to get a hold of you. If anyone wants to get a copy of your book, which we didn't get into, uh, or is interested in working with you in an individual or corporate sense. Uh, yeah. How would someone best uh, look for you or contact you? If you go to fortitudeandflow.com, slash perfectionist. I actually have a whole guide on the archetypes of perfectionists that I've come up with over time. So that will give you an idea of like what flavor of perfectionist you might be mostly swimming in and then where in that fortitude and flow process may be helpful for you to kind of put your emphasis and your start on. And then you'll, you'll get some information from me. Um, but so that's what I would say is go to that, go to that link, check out the archetypes, see how you feel about them. Cause here's another thing. If you don't vibe with those archetypes, we probably aren't going to vibe together anyway. So like mm, that's, yeah. that's just a good way for people to 
dip their toes in the water, see if they like it, you know, find me on LinkedIn, follow the post, stalk me for a while. That's cool. Um, but you can always, you know, you can always email me directly to Audrey at fortitudeandflow.com, but stalk me for a while, you know, figure it yeah. out. Sounds good. Well, Audrey, thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes, telling us all about how to be a little bit less perfectionist and use some more positive words in how we describe all the things we do. So as opposed to saying, don't be a perfectionist, maybe be an experimenter. Yes. Oh, be an experimenter. I love that. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Stephen. Definitely. And I would like to thank everybody out there listening to for listening to this and other episodes of Actions Antidotes. I encourage you to go back. There should be about 65 prior episodes or go forward to some of the episodes yet to be recorded. Uh, Always love to have you on this journey as we're all trying to just reach a point where our lives resemble a lot more closely what, what our bodies want, what we want, and where we feel like we're really in flow as opposed to the one size fits all cookie cutter world of last century. 